Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with my podcast partner, Ben Hardy. And Ben's a partner in more than podcast ways. Ben is the writer I've always been looking for in my life. And we formed a partnership about two or three years ago. And as a result of this, we have a collaborative project that will issue 10 major market books over the next 10 years. Ben initiated it by asking me whether I'd be interested in this partnership. And I said, I've been looking for you for 50 years, and I'm glad you showed up. Ben was the who, who created the how of a major market book, because that's not something that is really my unique ability at creating a book. I can create small books, and I can create a small book every quarter, but I can't create big major market books, and that's Ben's specialty. So we have completed one year, Ben, in the 10-year project, foreseeable 10-year project, and I think it went superb, superbly well. We would have to look back on the date of when we actually had that Genius X meeting, but I think that that Genius X meeting where we met with Reed Tracy, and maybe you know the date, that was within a year ago, and that's really when we finally went bang, yeah. you know? Yeah, but the very first Genius meeting when I first met you was in February of 2017. We were at Joe's office, Joe Polish. You came up, you introduced yourself, we talked and everything else, and he said something along the line, you don't do major market books, do you? And I said, no. I said, it doesn't play big in my mind. And he said, well, if you were ever interested in doing a major market book, I'd like to work with you on it because he said, we're very complimentary to... Oh, I, I love the idea of who not how. Yeah. And I love many of your ideas. But it was at that workshop that I actually did it up on the whiteboard for the first time and got the usual type of response that it gets. But now we're moving on to book number two. And book number two is a idea that goes back 25 years in Strategic Coach and has had just a major impact, I would say, on the happiness of the entrepreneurs, the happiness of the entrepreneurial teams, the happiness of the entrepreneurial families and it's called The Gap and the Gain. It's actually, in many ways, it's a perfect follow-up for the Who Not How book, Ben, because I believe that people go into The Gap because they're doing hows that are not appropriate for them, and therefore they judge themselves very badly on their achievements and their success because they are constantly putting themselves into a position where they take on activities and obligate themselves to activities and projects where they're not doing the right how. And as a result of that, they always have a negative judgment about themselves. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, so I can see it from that angle where you're always in the gap because you're always doing something you don't want to do and you're never actually in that flow. But I don't know if you remember, I mean, you did mention it 25 years ago, but what was it that led to this insight? Was it that a lot of your entrepreneurs were increasingly successful, but never feeling satisfied or they were, you know, I'm wondering, because when I first heard this idea, I knew it was gold. Just like when I first heard Who Not How. I read your ebook of Gap in the Game probably a little over two years ago. And I was like, okay, this is actually in a single concept fully explaining almost all of the quality research in psychology about how to actually reframe the meaning of your past, overcome trauma. Like that one idea really is crucial for happiness. And so I saw in one idea, which is your genius of simplifying 
things. I'm just wondering if you can remember what led to pulling this out and helping people apply it. Because now I see that you apply it in multiple different ways, like with your moving future and in other ways. But yeah. You know, it's my own experience of being an entrepreneur and having negative judgments about activities and uh, achievements, which other people praise me at. And there was, why are they praising me at this when I don't feel good about it? And I said, there must be something that I'm doing with my thinking here. There must be a screw loose here, a fuse is out or something that I'm looking at this. What happens with me as a coach inside the strategic coach program is I get to see very, very talented, very creative, very intelligent individuals at very, very close range, because I hear their stories, they tell me their stories, and I can see how they respond to their successes. And I said, you know, it's not just me that's doing this weird thing of actually being very successful, but not feeling successful. I said, there must be something general that's not being seen. So in my favor, I will say that it's not the world that's wrong. There's just something wrong about the way things are being thought about. So my first instinct is not to say there's something wrong with the world yeah. or so. Humans are inherently flawed. Yeah, and people are doing this and, you know, and everything else. I said, you know, we're just not looking at this in a way that's useful. It was one incident in a workshop, and this is a person who was a tremendous film producer, and we knew him on a personal level. Babs and I were friends with him and his wife. And we start the workshop off with people looking at their progress over the last 90 days and talking about their progress. And he said, I just don't have anything to report on. And the problem with him was that I knew quite a bit of what he had accomplished over the last 90 days, simply because we had a friendship with him and we would go to dinner. So I said, yeah, well, I've had conversations with you since the last workshop and you got this done and you got that done and this was new and great new project and everything else. And he says, yeah, but, you know, that's not really what I consider to be successful. And oftentimes an idea will build up in my mind and I am, you know, trying to come to grips with it and a diagram appeared and I went up to the flip chart in those days. We didn't have all of our modern electronic boards. So this would be 25 years ago. And I just drew the diagram that is now the diagram for the gap in the gain. And I said, I'm going to show you how the human brain works. Okay. It can work in two ways. And I drew a line down the middle and I took a brain, you know, my sort of like a Mr. Potato Head. And I said that, what we have is a vision of the future of who we are operating in a bigger way, operating in a better way, but happy with ourselves. In other words, if we were that way, we would be happy. And then in order to start action toward that, we set goals. And these would be projects, you know, in order to get to this vision that you have. And I call it the ideal. We have the ideal and you do a project and you complete it. So him, it might be a film project that was bigger and better than any film project that he had ever done. And he, you know, would complete it. And this would happen within the next 90 days. And 
He said, yeah, 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 so? And I said, now that's one brain working. I'm going to show you another brain. And I twin potato head. And I did the ideal and I did the project. And I said, and that project is complete. And he said, I don't get the point. They're the same. I said, no. What happens when it's complete? What do you measure against when it's complete? Where do you measure? And he was stunned. He was stunned. And I said, a lot of people who are very successful, who are very unhappy, measure against the ideal. And the ideal isn't there to be achieved. The ideal provides illumination on what your goals should be. Okay. And I said, this person over here does the exact same thing, has an ideal of the bigger and better, sets a goal, achieves the goal, but then measures backwards to where they started. And they say, God, boy, I've made such great progress. <laughs> I've made great progress. So one of them measures the gap between their achievement and the ideal, and the other one measures the gain between the achievement and where they started. Both are successful from an outside standpoint, but one of them sees themselves as a complete failure because measuring an achievement against the ideal, there's no difference, but measuring the achievement against where you started, there's a big difference. And I said, it's all a matter of always experiencing a big difference, a big game. And the whole room just went whack. But it's very, very interesting. He never got it. He never did. He never got it. He dropped out after a while, and there's no change. So there's some permanent wiring in there that doesn't allow him <laughs> to see it. But I've seen massive change in other people. And how long can you continually be striving for greater and greater success and never being happy before you quit? You know. Well, so that's what I was thinking is I've read articles from people who are very successful who say you should throw goals away because goals aren't worth it because goals hurt too much. You know, if you don't accomplish the goal, then you feel like a loser. And if you do accomplish the goal, you quickly realize that you now want something else. And so, you know, I've heard very smart people just say, goals don't work. Yeah, and I'll tell you the problem. You can be too smart. You can be too smart. <laughs> There's a level of just pure intellect, like brain power, where you think you're above the game and that you can see the game. None of us are above the game. We're inside a thing called humanity, and we have a certain amount of time in which we can get a grip on ourselves and actually make something of ourselves. But nobody really, really understands what the overall game, but there's ways of thinking about the game inside the game that make you feel successful and make you happy. And there are ways of thinking that make you successful, but very unhappy. Yeah, it's funny because you and I just barely had a conversation with BJ Fogg, the Stanford psychologist, and he spent an enormous amount of time studying habit development. And he said the thing that shapes habits is not repetition. He says it's actually feeling successful or feeling mm -hmm. some form of emotional elation. So mm -hmm. when you feel successful, then you want to do it again and again and again, whatever that may be. You know, that's why certain apps make you feel successful. They give you likes, they give you shares, you know, and you're like, you feel good. And so you want to do the thing more. And so feeling successful is crucial to continuing to go forward. When I come up with a concept like that in a workshop, I'm the main beneficiary of the concept that I've just created. I think we teach what we want to learn, but I really got it that day. And, you know, I've been tough on myself in the past, but I haven't been tough on myself since that day when I got the concept, because all I have to do is remind myself what I'm doing when I'm feeling dissatisfied with my 
progress, dissatisfied with my achievements. And the other thing is it's made me a better person to be around for other people in the sense that I had a bad habit that went along with judging myself critically severely that I would dismiss people's praise. I would dismiss other people's compliments. Mm. I have to tell you, Ben, now 25 years later, I'm at the point where when somebody says something, I accept it as true. You know, they see me do something. They say, boy, that was really great. And I sit there and I said, thank you very much. I think it was too. You chalk it up as a game. Yeah, it's a double game. I not only was successful, but I got praise for it. If it's the right person, you know, I judge people's praise differently, but I'm usually surrounded by people whose praise I take seriously. So here's another angle on the gap in the game. Literally yesterday, someone shared with me an Ernest Hemingway quote. I don't know if you saw it. It was a great quote. I was like, if I would have had this in personalities and permanent, that would have been really great. But now I guess it'll just be for the gap in the game. But I uh, saw this Ernest Hemingway quote. Someone randomly shared it. And this, I think, really fits with unique ability as well. It says, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. Yeah. And I think that measuring where you were in the past is beautiful and recognizing that you do things quite differently and you've evolved since your former self. And so you can be compassionate and not critical towards your former self, but you can recognize that you have grown immensely and you should celebrate that victory rather than assuming that you're the same person you were in the past. You actually can celebrate how much you've grown. Yeah. But I think you can also do that with other people. I've heard people in strategic coach tell me that the gap in the game has changed how they parent. Because it's easy as a parent or maybe even as a coach to always be in the gap and see where they're not yet towards your ideal. But if you actually measure them versus their former self, you can be absolutely blown away by how much, you know, other people are changing as well. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting story. And this happened very soon after the concept took hold and it became part of Strategic Coach. There was this really brilliant guy from California. He was in financial services, but he was a combination of medicine and financial services. I think he had gone completely through his medical training prior to becoming a doctor and then decided to shift careers. So he had this background of medicine. So he combined it into a new service in the marketplace where he would do second opinions when someone would get a negative result from their physical and would therefore not be eligible for insurance. So he offered a second opinion, and he would investigate, you know, who the doctors were, what the lab was, and what they did. And then he would say, it would really make sense for you to get an independent labs that are really very, very high-level labs. And invariably, in 95% of the cases, he would get the person rated, and the person would get the insurance. And then he got paid for the gain that was actually achieved there, that before the person was rejected, now they were accepted. Anyway, very bright mind. I could tell right off the bat, very creative. So I did the gap in the gain. I did it to him, and he was just stunned. He was just stunned. That happened in the morning, and in the afternoon, he says, can I share something? He said, that diagram that Dan, that gap in the gain diagram that he did on the flip chart there, I, I want to tell you a story. He said. I went through high school for four years, and he said I was a top student, I was a top athlete, and everything else. And he said I got 40 grades on my grade cards, so there were four years and there were 10 grades at the end of the year. 
And he said, I got 39 A's and a B. And he said, my father was very critical. He says, my father was a very critical person. And I know now that a lot of my striving, you know, from my teenage days and maybe much longer was to get his approval. And he said, about a year ago, he said, I was home visiting my mother's dead, and we were just visiting. And right in the middle of the meal, my father said, what were you thinking? He says, what were you thinking? And the client's name was David, and he says, thinking about what? He said, if you had just tried harder, you would have got 40 A's. What were you thinking that you didn't think it was worth it? And how many years later was this? 40, you said? Pray. 25, 25 years later. And he just got stunned by it. He had that experience, and then he saw the gap diagram. And he said, what I just realized, the same thing that he's done to me, I'm doing to my daughter. He said, that's how I'm treating my daughter, the same way my father treated me. And I said, yeah, that can cause tensions. <laughs> I mean, it's the exact opposite of what B.J. Fogg is showing in his research, that people need to feel successful by celebrating every victory. Yeah. You know? Well, and the sad part is, is that over the last 25 years, his dad hasn't been able to see all the gains in his son. That his son has gone on to become this incredibly successful, amazing man. Yeah, he messed up. In business and in life. And his father can't even see the value in all of that because his son missed that one thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've gotten letters from clients who said that they were very worried about their daughter, that she had attempted suicide, she had eating disorders. She was very, very thin, but she said when she looked in the mirror, all she saw was fat. All she saw was fat. She couldn't see the person that was actually there because she had an ideal based on, you know, maybe looking at famous other people and wanting to be like that other person. But the enormous amount of measuring yourself by the ideal is comparing yourself to others. Okay. And the game, you only compare yourself with who you used to be. You don't compare yourself with anybody else. And that's very liberating. Ben, you're a psychologist and you have your doctorate in psychology. But I would say that the enormous amount of mental illness comes from comparing ourselves to standards that are not achievable or comparing ourselves to other people, which is also not achievable. And a lot of the unhappiness that causes all sorts of what are then diagnosed as mental illness or mental disorders really comes from this just comparing wrong. You're always comparing and measuring wrongly. We have to compare. This is the way we don't die early in our lives. You know, you have to compare safe from dangerous. We have to make comparison all the time. And people say, well, I'm not judgmental at all. And I said, well, of course you are. You just made a judgment. <laughs> 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 we have to be judgmental. I said, it's part of the human brain. But how are you judging and what measurements are you using to judge? Yeah, I think what you've said is beautiful. When you're only looking at the gap, one thing that I've found, it's exactly what you said. It creates what I call mindlessness. You're not aware of all the goodness of what actually is. I can give two quick examples. So my son, Caleb, you know, we adopted our three oldest kids and they all came with their own, you know, <laughs> traits and quirks and whatnot. One of them being that Caleb seems regularly to try to get out of schoolwork. That's something that triggers me. And so 
one time Caleb was trying to get out of work and I got triggered and I said, Caleb, why are you always doing that? And luckily my wife corrected me and she said, Ben, first off, don't say he's always doing that because actually look at it. This morning he was totally on top of it and he's been really well for the last six, eight months. He's actually improved a lot. And I realized right then and there that I wasn't actually seeing my son for who he was, but I was seeing the seven-year-old version of him that I had been accustomed to seeing. And I didn't even see all of the gains. And I, did, I wasn't looking at the kid who was right in front of me. Mm-hmm. My mind had been filtered through my former views. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's called being mindless, not being aware of the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, we can fail to appreciate everything that we have right now if we're always, you know, on the gap. And so it's just amazing. Yeah. So to a certain extent, seeing the diagram helps people because yes. they can see which side of the line they're on which Mr. Potato Head they are, you know. We had a woman who was very, very accomplished. This is sometime after we did the diagram, but she really took to the diagram when I put it on the flip chart. And she came in at a workshop. Our workshops in Strategic Coach are on a 90-day basis. There's a lot of contact and there's a lot of work in between, but there's a full day every 90 days, and she came in. So anyway, uh, I said, something wrong because she looked like something was wrong. And she said, yeah, she said that gap thing. She said, I got through 12 weeks without going into the gap. And then three days before the workshop, she said, I went into the gap. And she said, I don't feel like I've made any progress at all. And I said, you can turn anything into the gap game. You can turn anything into the gap. So she didn't see the 12 weeks of progress, which was probably the 12 greatest weeks of her life where she had made progress, but she had failed at the end. And that one failure in the last week wiped out the 12 weeks of progress in her mind. So why do you think it's important, Dan, for someone to feel good about themselves, to like themselves, to appreciate the progress? And just in general, I'm just wondering from your perspective, why is it important for a person to feel good and to like themselves? Well, I think one thing is that nobody else is going to do it. You know, like, If you're unhappy inside yourself, I can guarantee you nobody outside of yourself is going to make you happy because you're the only one that knows your thoughts. You're the only one that knows your experience. You're the only one that knows your measurements. You're the only one that knows your goals. We have goals that we tell other people, but they're very few in comparison with the other goals that we have for ourselves. And I'm a great goal guy. I set goals. I've got measurements for an enormous number of things. But if I can only use my own experience here, I said, it doesn't matter how many friends you have if you're walking around inside your enemy. I said, you know, I happen to believe in the afterlife and I happen to believe in heaven and hell. But I said, I think that hell is just spending a whole lifetime not liking yourself, spending a whole lifetime never giving yourself a break, uh, spending a whole lifetime where no matter what you achieve, it comes up to zero. That sounds like hell to me. Maybe it's just a trailer, you know, it's just a preview. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do or who you are, you're never enough. Yeah. But the thing is that if you do it to yourself, you'll do it to other people. I grew up right after the Second World War, so it was a very patriotic time. A lot of pride, you know, if you're on the winning side and you won big, then there's a lot to be proud of. But there became an element of politics in America where America was bad, that America was a failure. All this talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was failure. 
And I got really interested, you know, how are these people who are very smart, very educated, as a matter of fact, usually more educated in a formal way than their political opponents. I said, how are they looking at this? How are they looking at the United States that they can't appreciate what an extraordinary breakthrough this has been in the world, this amazing country and how it's gone forward. And one of them actually said it in a speech. And she said, I am totally for the America that we're going to create in the future, but the America that we have now is a disaster. And I said, well, that sounds a lot like the gap rather than the gain, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you can see political thought where nothing that exists is any good. We have to tear it all down and we have to create something brand new. It's just the gap extended to the political realm. Wow. Yeah, that that gives me a lot of insights because there's a lot of research that I think about. You know, I don't know if you've heard of Carol Dweck. She's the one who coins, you know. What's interesting, and I want your take on how this fits, the people with the fixed mindset, they tend to be defined by the present. So if they fail a test, then they're not happy with themselves because then they believe they'll never be able to get to that level. Whereas growth mindset, people, even if they fail the test, they're not defined by the present because they believe they can become something more in the past. And I guess my thought is that they probably chalk up the failure as a gain. And that actually they do. And they don't actually define it as a failure because they're calling it a gain. But I guess the people with the fixed mindset immediately go into the gap and they're frustrated with the present. Whereas the people with the growth mindset are not necessarily attached to the present because they believe in the future, but they're not mad about the present. And I, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think that's true. I've given a lot of thought to this about the time zones that we have in our brain. And I think, uh, you know, this is part of coming to grips with being in a place where you're only here for a while. So time has a real importance and that we change continually over time physically and things around us change physically. So time's really important. So we have somewhere along the line, we got this notion of past, present, and future yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But we're actually only living in one of them. And the best you can be is just being conscious of what you're actually doing on a daily basis and even better why you're actually doing it. Okay. And we use the past and future as ideas, which if they're good ideas, they'll actually help us be present. It's hard being present. They're really ideas that either lead us to being present or not. Right? Yeah. And usually we have as the past a vision of our past self and as the future we have a vision of our future self and they're different they're very very different okay because the one is uh, coming from and the other one is a getting to you know the ultimate what i could say growth of a person is the degree that you use them differently you use your past self differently from how you use your future self And you don't have them fighting with each other in your mind. You don't have your future self fighting your past self. But your past self is actually the past that had certain experiences, good experiences, bad experiences, successes, failures, you know, the complete gamut. You can't go back there and live that life again, but you can think about what got achieved and what didn't get achieved, you know. Lots of people can't do that because they think about the past as a gap. They had an ideal of how their life should have been and that their life wasn't that way, so the past is a complete failure. 
and they don't want to think about the past because when they think about it, nothing got achieved. And now they put the demands on their future self to achieve everything that wasn't achieved in the past. And they make unrealistic, idealistic demands on the future self. And the future self just says, oh, oh, you got to be bigger. You got to be better. You got to do The future self becomes a tyrant and the past self is a victim. Very interesting. We have a person who's a superb musician and she had created a studio for herself with a synthesizer so she could reproduce orchestra instruments and she was a good composer. So she brought in a CD. This is back in CD days and she played it for Babs and me. And I was sitting there and I said, but amazing skill, amazing skill. She was sitting there and I could tell she wasn't completely happy with what she'd done. So at the end, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, I'm not really the person to judge on this, but how lacking in perfection was that? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, I'm just hearing all sorts of things. And I says, but were you hearing those things? And were you noticing our enjoyment? And she said, oh, oh, did you like it? I said, see, you should have been focusing on our enjoyment rather than what you thought was wrong with it, you know. And I believe it's incredibly important for not only how we feel about ourselves by measuring ourselves against our former self rather than some imagined ideal that we'll never be at, but it changes how we appreciate other people and how we treat other people. And so I just feel like this is, in my mind, the ultimate way, first off, to learn from your experience rather than be angry about your experience, but also to feel good about yourself so that then you can be more excited about the future. So I just think this is a beautiful concept, Dan, and uh, excited to explore this more with you. Thank you very much, Ben. And this is all going to be game. It's all game. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right.